Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Reno. I'm one of the leaders at New Conduit House Church, together with my wife, Amanda. Um, and I will be taking us through today's uh, EMP I'll be sharing this morning. Let's just open up in a prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for this new day. We thank you that mercies are made new. We thank you for the privilege to come before you, Lord God, to seek after you, to be able to find you, Lord God, and for your scripture to be able to speak to us, Lord. We just lay ourselves before you, Lord God. Just have the floor, Lord. Just speak to us. Move hearts. Move our spirits, Lord God. We just give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's reading comes from Matthew 7, 1 through 29. Matthew 7, 1 through 29. Let's read that together. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell." and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Amen. 
There's quite a bit to unpack here, but as I was praying through what to share today, I felt led to focus on the idea of judgment, standards of measure, and what that means for us individually and corporately as a church body. First, on judgment. Judgment gets a bad rap in our modern culture that focuses on individuality and the notion of live and let live. The refrain often goes, don't judge me, to which the world response, worldly response is accordingly, you do you, it's none of my business. Anything that veers too far from accepting a spectrum of behaviors, however repugnant, could be misconstrued as bigotry. As believers, we are called to have these uncomfortable confrontations, especially within the church context, as a means of disciplining and correction. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Contrary to the morality of the world, the loving thing to do is not to sit idly by when people fall into sin, but to intervene. So in today's passage, Jesus isn't making a blanket statement about not making judgments at all, as he is clear that we need to operate in this way. He is actually making a distinction about what kind of judgment we should be making. The Greek word used in this instance is krino, which, depending on the usage, could mean either of two things. One, to condemn, and by one's good example, to render another's wickedness the more evident and censurable. Or two, to judge and pronounce an opinion concerning right or wrong. The duality of this definition is highlighted in Jesus' encounter with the adulterous woman in John eight ten through 11. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? That's katakrino in uh, the Greek. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not judging you, but also... I'm judging you. That is, Jesus is not condemning the woman, making her feel worse for her sin, and boasting of his own holiness. But he is at the same time discerning between right or wrong, and pointing the woman to godly living. Hence the call out on hypocrisy in today's passage. It's a heart check for all of us when we are in a situation that calls for judgment. Are we doing it to tear people down, and to lift ourselves up, that is, an eagerness to pounce on someone and say, let me take the speck out of your eye, or are we operating out in fluff and a genuine desire to see people restored? And are we also being honest about our own brokenness and sin, these logs in our own eyes, and our need to repent and be right with the Lord, even before we start judging those around us? In fact, the passage says that without first dealing with our own issues, our judgment will be clouded, and we will not be able to see clearly to help those around us. Two, on standards of measure— the operative term used here is metron, where we get the words meter and metric from. In Greek, it can mean either the instrument used to determine the quantity of things, whether dry or liquid, or a specific portion that has been determined. The passage talks about the importance of discerning the context behind a standard of measure when we judge something. In the literal sense, we would measure physical things differently, say, between an apple, water, and grains of rice. They're not the same thing, hence the phrase apples and oranges. So you need to gauge each of them separately. In the spiritual sense, metron appears throughout scripture as God's reminder of the individual nature of our faith journeys and, what, and that we each are called into different areas. 
One such usage appears in 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 16. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. That's the Greek word metron. But within the measure of the spirit which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you. For we were first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. So when we judge ourselves, are we judging ourselves rightly by what God has called us to? And when we judge others, are we judging them rightly by what is bestowed upon them in their journey? Outside of the faith, the passage also remarks on the standard of measure for us to righteously judge non-believers, cautioning against giving what is holy to dogs and throwing pearls to swine. Like pigs in jewelry, non-believers would not know what to make of God's call to righteous living, as they have not had that revelation. Measuring them against the same standard of righteousness as a mature believer would, in turn, be in vain. Instead, as he was being crucified, Jesus demonstrates how we should approach non-believers with understanding, mercy, and a genuine desire to see them reconciled with the Father. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I'm a big baseball fan. In particular, I'm interested in the area of sabermetrics, which is the statistical discipline of baseball. It's covered in the movie Moneyball, which stars Brad Pitt, based on the best-selling book with the same name. Baseball is the most statistically rich sport in the world, and together, the numbers tell a complex story about individuals and organizations. Every little detail gets tracked in the game. Every pitch, catch, swing of a bat, run between bases, or in the outfield. But the importance of each statistic varies based on the different positions and roles within a team. Pitchers would be measured on their ability to get outs and reduce the number of runs given up to the opposing team. Even among pitchers, there are specialized roles for which there are specific standards of measure. Starters, as they are so-called, open games for their teams and are measured by their consistency and stamina. At times, they are called on to throw more than 100 pitches in a single game. Closers, on the other hand, enter the game only toward the end for one or two innings. They typically throw the hardest, sometimes over 100 miles an hour, strike out opposing batters efficiently, and perform well in high-leverage situations. For instance, when they need to lock in the win for their teams. Batters, on the other hand, would be measured on their ability to generate and score runs for their team. And again, depending on the roles, batters are addressed and assessed in different ways. Leadoff hitters, who go first in the batting order, are usually good contact hitters that get on base efficiently. They are typically also fast and can run base as well. Cleanup hitters, who go fourth in the batting order, are usually slower and get fewer hits than leadoff hitters, but they can hit for power and drive runners across multiple bases and even get home runs. I know that gets in the, ba- in the weeds a bit in terms of what the general population needs to know about baseball, but I keep coming back to it as an apt metaphor for what the Bible has to say about standards of measure and a role in the church community. Reading from Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
God has placed us in different capacities and portions to steward, to which we are specifically measured against. That said, as in baseball, to pursue the individual excellence in our own area is not the objective. Rather, it's how we deploy our particular roles to build up the broader organization, in this case, to edify our brothers and sisters in the church body. I'll close my sharing by reading from 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 26. But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The church is beautiful because God made each of us different and were made different so that the church could function as he intended. We need one another. It's not about one being better than the other because each one is necessary in its own way, but about how we can all come together in unity to strengthen the whole. Circling back to this morning's passage from Matthew 7, I believe what the Lord is saying to us is this, exercise righteous judgment, discern the standards of measure placed upon yourself and others in our God-given portions, and encourage one another to grow in those different respects. In that, we build the body of Christ together. Can I invite the worship leader up, Monica? As we go into a time of worship, let's ask the Holy Spirit to to reveal how we can do our part to edify our brothers and sisters and to build up the body of Christ together. I see 
Father God, we thank you for the gift of the church. We ask for wisdom and discernment in judging righteously ourselves and those around us for the purpose for the purpose of turning hearts toward you. Help us love one another as you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will now read today's intercessory prayer from the One App. God, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. You see the trouble of the afflicted; you consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. The fatherless look around you and see many families with parents and ask, "Why me?" Even as we have no answers, Lord, let them see you. That each one will come to know and trust you as their father. Show us how to introduce Christ to them. And love them in the way they need. Teach us how we can help orphans, foster care children, and those under abuse. Lord, reveal yourself to them as we embrace them as our family and show the love. We pray that kind eyes, a little spoken encouragement and smile, a gentle word, a little giving, a remembering of each one's names will go far deep into their hearts to know that they matter, and we love them, Lord. You are faithful and good to the fatherless. You hear their cries and prayers and answer them. Please heal their hearts and help them to find their identity and purpose in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks, Reno. Um, we're going to pray together. So, invite you guys to come to the front. Uh, take a seat. This is our new. More intimate relational format. So please come on up, take a seat.